With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back again. Stoops is back. Sooners will win. Did I just break some copyright infringements? Are we recording this? Yeah. Because I don't think so. I don't know. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Bob Stoops back on the sideline for the Oklahoma Sooners. Oh, yeah. Bay Bears, they'll be there as well. I mean, (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that. Um, Basketball getting underway. Rich, we're recording this at 6.30 on uh, Thursday night, and Oklahoma basketball is 30 minutes away from tip-off. It's finally time of the year where there's multiple things that we can discuss, but we've got to stick with Oklahoma and Baylor Saturday evening primetime. This game is huge from the standpoint that it basically qualifies Oklahoma for the Big 12 championship. I mean, you obviously the Sooners still need to win out, but if something were to happen the following week, We'll talk more about that later. If something were to happen about that, you know, the following week, Oklahoma has qualified for the Big 12 championship. You got to get one more game in. And Joe Castiglione met with the media earlier in the day. And he, without saying that exact same thing, he basically said that exact same thing about how this game was crucial for Oklahoma. And, you know, it's going to be a depleted Oklahoma football team that goes in there and plays on Saturday. But, you're, you're talking about a Baylor team that has ridden the struggle bus all season long, finally beats Kansas State by a field goal to snap, I think was a five-game losing streak or something along those lines. Even depleted, OU should comfortably win? The spread is set at 22, Matt, which I, I think is a adequate number, given a lot of the situations that are playing out this week with the the health concerns and contact tracing, et cetera, that has taken place. We're talking about a potentially depleted Oklahoma football team. More specifically, I, I think a majority of the people are looking at the defensive right. side of the ball, given the fact that, as you mentioned, Bob Stoops will be back on the sideline. We know that he was a defensive player. The expectation is for him to roll in on the defensive side of the ball in, in some role. Now that has yet to be seen or come to fruition. I know what people are saying. I know what people are saying. So go ahead and spit it out. Well, I mean, I think that the popular belief is that Alex Grinch is out and Mm -hmm. Bob Stoops is the defensive coordinator for Saturday, which, you know, you, you guys, you, you babies, you youngsters don't remember Bob Stoops as the defensive coordinator for the Florida Gators before he came to the University Who of are Oklahoma. They? Are they good? He was also as at, he also was at Kansas State <laughs> prior to that as a defensive coordinator. So Bob knows a thing or two about defense. Um, and that's good. I mean, I, I, all the jokes have been fun this week. You know, who would have thought that Bob Stoops would be back before Texas? You know, uh-huh. all, all those things have been fun on Twitter and so forth. But the reality is you're losing – a key component to your coaching staff in Alex Grinch. But Lincoln Riley said it himself. You're replacing that guy with a hall of famer. Right. So I, my perspective is I'm pretty excited just to see how this thing works out. And I saw, I I think it may've been sooner gridiron. I saw somebody put out on Twitter. Is Bob Stoops going to be the first man to be an assistant coach inside a stadium that has a statue of him on the outside of it? And that, that, I mean, this is a pretty big thing for Bob Stoops, not just that the Oklahoma gets this, this wealth of knowledge, right? But you see the humility in Bob Stoops. The guy's been a head coach. I mean, even, even for the Dallas Renegades, he was a head coach, right? And he's going to step down into a coordinator position right. just to help out. Yeah. I mean, that, that we're, I think we're overlooking the, the, the amount of humility it takes to do that. I was curious to know, I was having a conversation with another individual this week leading up to this game with the announcement of Bob Stoops 
joining the staff in some kind of capacity on Saturday. Is this the first time that Stoops, Bob Stoops and Drake Stoops will be on the sideline as coach and player? No, I'm pretty confident because, you know, Drake, um, I mean, Drake was a baby. I mean, Warner. Well, but even then, I mean, (laughs) his dad was the head coach at at, uh, OU Mm -hmm. from the time they were born. Right. I remember Uh, seeing the the picture. Right. So. there's no way Bob was coaching at Norman High School or Norman no, no, North no, why, why he was coaching. I'm thinking so, Little League. Little yeah, League would be your best bet. Still, man, I mean, I, I feel like if, if you're a coach of the pre- prestige that Bob is, you're not going to moonlight as a Pop Warner coach yeah, either. And that's probably wise. Let's <laughs> so, be honest. That's, anyway. That's um, probably wise. Matt, I, I'm going to answer your question because we were talking about, about, about Baylor, this Oklahoma defense, and maybe you asked me this before we started recording, but it's it's really that question, what you were alluding to without saying it was, are you worried about this game? And I, I was saying that Oklahoma is favored by 22, which I think yeah. is a it's it's a good number to stick with at this point in time. Oklahoma on offense has been completely demolishing opposing defenses, defensive coordinators, defensive fronts. Across the board, this has been a very good offense that really, and we used this term early on in the season, we were waiting for the defense to turn the corner, when in reality, we needed to be waiting for the offense to turn the corner. Well, more more well. specifically, the running game. And we saw that Oklahoma has now officially turned the corner, and they have been a completely different team for the better part of the season now, dating back to October. All of November, this has been a completely different team, and I'm hoping that carries on into December because if that's the offense that's going to continuously show up, I don't know that there's anyone in the Big 12 that sits on Oklahoma's schedule that has the threats to keep up with that offense, even if the defense has failed to show up. Well, it's interesting that you mention that because Dave Aranda, the head coach for the Baylor Bears, the last time he coached against Oklahoma was in the Peach Bowl uh, with an LSU squad that really kind of hindered Oklahoma's offense in that game. Now, I, I know, don't drive your car off the road if you're listening. I, Dave Aranda doesn't have the athletes at Baylor that he had at LSU. And the truth is, Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler is able to do more things vertically than what Jalen Hurts was able to do. Not a knock against Jalen Hurts. Guy's making a ton of money in the NFL. But the truth is, I think this offense is a little more potent, absent CeeDee Lamb even, than what what Dave Aranda faced last year. But schematically, schematically, I think Dave Aranda knows what he's doing. And you got to at least look at this and say, okay, the last time he went against Oklahoma, against Lincoln Riley, he kind of won the chess match. Do you have to say that? I think you because look at the bowl I, game and, and you you don't have any other option, right? I mean, Matt, we have to we do have to take into consideration LSU had a generational team. No, I get that. I I, I already said that he doesn't have the athletes in right. Waco he had in Baton Rouge. No one has, but I'm, <laughs> has I'm, that LSU team. I'm this talking year. about just from an X's and O's standpoint, he he matched up very well against Lincoln Riley, and there's not a lot of coaches out there that can say that, but Dave Aranda's one of them. I'll give you that point. Um, and when we look at his track record, when we look at what they were LSU was able to accomplish against Oklahoma in that Peach Bowl, it's very hard to replicate that. And it's going to be extremely difficult. You've mentioned the talent discrepancy. You, you've mentioned... Baylor basically has been fighting COVID from day one. And I don't, I don't want to say they haven't gotten it under control, but at times it seems like they are prime for yet another outbreak that will limit their team pretty significantly. When I look at Baylor, it's hard for me to even draw a comparison to LSU and rightfully so, but you do have to think if Baylor can get the recruits that they want in there, they may they may be building towards something. We know every time a new coach comes in, Matt, there's really a, a culture shift, and you have to get that crop of recruits. You have to get the current players to buy into whatever strategy, to whatever um, things you're going to employ with that team. You have to get them to buy into that before you actually see that that manifest itself on the field at the level of success, say like Oklahoma has under Lincoln Riley. Baylor's just not there. I, I've seen where people have labeled this as a year zero for Dave Aranda. It's it's going to be a mulligan for him next year. This one won't count against Tom him. Tom Herman's probably Googling how he can get a mulligan. <laughs> how did that work? I want that. <laughs> this one's not going to count against Dave Aranda. I think a lot of people will give him a pass 
like I said, given the, the current health crisis that we've been in to the production on the field and how it's really limited them, not only in practices, but also in what they're able to put out there in competition. Yeah, but don't you look at, I mean, I'm saying this because I'm a, I'm saying this as a fan of a team who had to postpone a game last week because of COVID, but don't you look at COVID protocols and the team's ability to manage that as part of the responsibility of the coaching staff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Baylor, we we talked about it, Baylor it, it and the struggles, past the coaching staff. Right, I mean, you have to look at the whole athletic department. Well, and, and we we talked about this going all the way back to August. You know, jumping this, you're going to find out what matters to who, because it just takes one guy being irresponsible, and you 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 can't go to West Virginia, you know. And so it's it's are you believing in what you're are you believing in what the coaches are selling about how special the season can be, and even so. Programs like Oklahoma get shut down, and but I just the the struggles in Waco, particularly earlier, were way more than anybody else in the Big Twelve. I mean, Kansas State has some issues, but man, what happened? You know, what happened down in Waco? Maybe that's just a a part of the 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 transition and not being organized. I right. I don't know, but that said, Dave Aranda is a pretty good defensive coach. Okay, one other thing here that's not game-related but kind of is, the top recruit for Oklahoma's 2021 class is going to be in Norman for a game Saturday night, Caleb Williams, and he's bringing guest or guests with him. One guy we know for sure is coming is Emeka Ebuka. I didn't say that right. Emeka Ebuka. Whatever. You know who I'm talking about. He is the only here, – here's something a lot of people don't realize – Egbuka is the only receiver that Oklahoma is targeting now. They're not I mean, if they and rightfully so because yeah, they, they're they're basically at the number. Matt, right. if you if you harken back to our original conversations about this recruiting class, we were saying there was a guesstimate of how many Oklahoma would take. Right. They're basically sitting at that number. Now, of course, if you can get Egbuka as the number one receiver in the class, which by the way I find is weird because Egbuka is a, a top. 12, I think he's number 11 on the national rankings, and he's from the state of Washington. But he's number two in the state. Like, what are the chances well, but, I mean, of that happening? Wasn't Caleb Williams number one? No, he's not from Washington State. He's from the D.C. area, isn't he? Egbuka? Yeah. Maybe I, I got that confused. No, I, I he could was be from confused. State. Yeah, I could be. I'm gonna, you're going to force me to Google him up now. Yeah, we're, we're both going to be doing the same thing. No, we don't both have to do it. I'll trust you to do it then. I'm thinking that he was from he knew Caleb Williams yeah, from the Washington Washington State. State. I should have known that because uh, I've written on this kid so many times. I just got confused. It's all good. It's all good. It happens when you get old. It, it's easy, Matt, and I can understand why you'd think the D.C. area because of the connection to Ohio State that his name has been tied to for quite some time. Well, Ohio State's still leading. If you right. if you made people put money right now where he's going mm-hmm. to college, Ohio State's the odds-on favorite. Right, and Oklahoma for Egbuka was really a surprise contender there wasn't a lot of talk about Oklahoma being linked to him when he released his top four I get Washington being in there as the the home the team. hometown team yeah not hometown but home state team for him so he's throwing them in there throwing them a bone but it's always been between Ohio State and another program and then Oklahoma kind of jumped in there in the mix. And now it's almost as if they're putting all their eggs in a single basket. You've mentioned he's the only one that they're courting at this point in time at the position, which I think is wise, as we've mentioned, given the current status of this recruiting class and the number of wide receiver recruits that have already committed verbally national signing day, the early, early national signing day is less than two weeks away. Right. So there's time to make some kind of an impact. What, what I guess really throws me for a loop we're in a recruiting dead period. Mm-hmm. So Egbuka really can't have any contact with the coaching staff. Is that correct? Not on campus. Now he, yeah, the, the dead period mm-hmm. covers on campus. So this is just going to a game. He's not gonna going to see Lincoln Riley. By the way, he, he and whoever's coming with him, which I've, I've heard is his entire family. They're paying to travel on their own dime. Right. Yeah. Cause they're it's paying, unofficial. They're paying right. for the tickets to get into. Yep. Well, Yeah. They're paying for the tickets to get into the game, and they're coming and they're doing it as a group. Who does that sound like? Well, I mean, Caleb Williams. Exactly. He's, he's orchestrating crazy, this whole right? thing, and I don't, I don't know that it's just going to be Egbuka and his family. I think, you know, he's Caleb Williams is pushing really hard for Tristan Lee. 
He's pushing really hard for Bryce Foster. It would not surprise me if one or two or both of those guys show up for Bryce Foster. It's a lot closer. You know, you just drive up from Texas. Um, Tristan Lee's a little bit, a little bit more of a, of a project, but I mean, that's what Caleb Williams and his family did. They were like, Hey, we're just going to go check it out ourselves. And then they did the sooner summit. So, and then they moved here. And then they moved here. I say here, we're we're located in Oklahoma, obviously, but they moved locally to Norman. Yeah. To, to Norman. yeah. Okay. So we're going to get right into Oklahoma Baylor. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma offense versus the Baylor defense first because I think that's the most advantageous matchup the Sooners have going for them on Saturday. All right. Well, Lincoln Riley is putting his offense up against a Baylor team that is allowing 27.7 points per game. And they're pretty even on how you uh, attack them. 367.7 yards, respectively, uh, given up per game. Rich, the the Baylor defense allows 183.9 yards per game through the air. You want to guess how much they allow per game on the ground? I, I already know because oh. I do have those numbers. Come on, but man. I'll guess. I'll guess. Uh, let me think. Let me think. 183.86. 183. I'm, I'm rounding up to nine. <laughs> 183.9. So I mean, it's 367 in the air. Uh, th- excuse me, 367.7 total. 183.9 in the air. 183.9 on the ground. And here's what's great. I mean, Baylor, this team scores an average of 27.6 points per game, and they give up an average of 27.7 points per game. So all of that spells to a 2-5 and five season if you're Baylor. And they, what to me, if, if they're healthy, if I'm Lincoln Riley, what really makes me grin about this is they're equally bad. So you have full advantage. Now, the, don't let the pass yards fool you. Oh, they're giving up less than 200 yards a game. Well, because when you can run on them and you can rely heavily on the run, you don't need to pass as much. And this, to me, this sets up for a good game for Ramondre Stevenson and Oklahoma's rushing attack. And that's exactly where I start. And I, I do it for two reasons. Number one, it's proven to be effective. And number two, you know you're you're short on the defensive side of the ball. You're short in personnel. So you keep the defense off the field, and uh, subsequently you keep Charlie Brewer off the field on the other sideline while you control the pace of this game through your running game. That's where I'm starting. Yeah, we've talked about the um, increase in production on the ground. Of course, the the main or the primary name that everybody will throw out there is going to be Ramondre Stevenson. I think TJ Pledger still gets some carries. Oh, for sure. I'm still curious what's happened to the rest of the roster at the running back. But you also have to like what you're seeing out of a guy like Mikey Henderson. And what I when I say the rushing attack and when I involve a guy like Mikey Henderson, it doesn't necessarily have to be a handoff. If you wanted to do a quick pass into the backfield or a quick pass behind the line of scrimmage towards a guy like Mikey Henderson, I'm still counting that as running production, even though it won't go down on the stat sheet. So there are plenty of options. There are a couple of guys that you could essentially hand the ball off to, and you know that they're going to make something happen. But that that biggest name on the list will always be and will continue to be Ramondre Stevenson. Matt, the one thing I'm looking at here, since Ramondre Stevenson's return, Oklahoma has hit their highest number of yards on the ground. They had back-to-back 200 games. First one against Texas Tech, second one against Kansas. I know that's nothing to write home about when you look at those two teams and what they've done defensively, but then all of a sudden you take Oklahoma State, who had the the best defense across the board statistically in the Big 12 Conference, and you see what Oklahoma was able to do to that group. They absolutely demoralized them and then continued on that throttle. This was a team that I didn't see any let up. I didn't see any quit in on the offensive side of the ball, which again, bodes well for a game against Baylor. If there are some concerns on the defensive side of the ball, rest assured in the offensive side of the ball, because I do believe Oklahoma is once again going to rush for over 200 yards in this game. Man, um, keep that in mind when we get to true or false. Um, okay, so Baylor, their their defense, the linebackers really are the the core of this defense. Terrell Bernard leads this squad with 55 total tackles, three and a half sacks on the season. That ties him with William Bradley King, also a linebacker with three and a half sacks on the season. But really, this team specializes defensively in takeaways. Nine interceptions on the season, five fumble recoveries on the season, and they forced, you know, three other fumble recovery or fumbles that they, they didn't, uh, that they didn't get a hold of. 
So you, if you're Oklahoma, again, going back to this offensive game plan, you start with Ramondre Stevenson and you just pound at these linebackers and you try to get your linemen into that second layer of the defense. But you, the second thing for me, you got this ball security. I mean, you, you got to, we haven't even got to Spencer Rattler and, and Marvin Mims yet, but I'm running Ramondre and I'm taking care of the football. And those, those two things right there on their own, if done successfully is a recipe to win this game. I'm going to throw uh, another option in there as well, because while I do believe running is the, the, it will pave the way to success on Saturday. What I've seen out of Baylor is that Baylor has the propensity. And I know we'll talk about their offense here in a little bit, but Baylor has the propensity to not rely on garbage time touchdowns. Now we're seeing this team begin to transition and begin to buy in, which we said must happen. If Dave Aranda wanted to be successful at Baylor I think that's coming. I don't know that it's been cemented this year. And so here's where I'm going with that, okay? They're not going to rely on garbage time and touchdowns. So I think Oklahoma is going to try to score quick. I'm not saying they're going to use any trickery, but I do think Oklahoma needs, wants, needs to throw the ball downfield and test this secondary vertically. Looking at a guy like Marvin Mims, who, by the way, as a true freshman, has shown incredible body control and is one of the highest rated receivers, if not the highest rated receiver when throwing uh, long passes in the Big 12 Conference or when being targeted on long passes. We've seen, despite the lack of experience, he seems to have the knowledge, he seems to have the tools that are, are ready to compete at this level. So why not give him a couple of throws? Why not look downfield and throw something in his general direction? We haven't heard a lot from him here recently, Matt. I'm hoping that changes on Saturday. Well, listen, I agree. This is a squad that's starting to buy in, uh, but their last three games, you know, they, they, they went toe to toe with Iowa state for the first half in Ames, but then they folded and gave up 21, 21 points in the third mm -hmm. quarter of that game. And then, I mean, I'm just not going to put a lot of stock into games against Texas Tech and Kansas State. I mean, if you're going to tell me, yeah, well, we're not really. Kansas State game was one on a on a late field goal. But what I'm saying is, you're you're saying that they're not they're not relying on garbage time time touchdowns, yeah, which can, I get that. We but, can even look at the Iowa State game because what did you just say? You what, said they went toe to toe with them in for, the first half. For a, but then they folded. I mean, right, and and uh, that's that's the only point that I'm making. Right. No, and I'm agreeing it, with you that they're yeah, buying yeah. in. But it I'm appears just saying, as though they're they're able to compete. Not for a full 60 minutes, but they're able to compete up front. Yeah. If this game goes into the half and Oklahoma is equal to Baylor or maybe it would a be a surprise. It would not to me. It really wouldn't because be because you got to consider what Oklahoma. I, I do think I'm not worried about the coaching personnel on the sidelines. I'm working. I'm more concerned about who's going to be missing on the field. Now we know two names that we're going to get into in just a second that, that we're pretty confident aren't going to be there Saturday night. But those are two of potentially four or five. So, and when you say four or five, you're specifically on the defensive side starters. of the ball. Yes, starters, starters. out. Yeah, for the I defense. just wanted to make yeah. that clear. So, because of that, it would not shock me if this game is 14, 14, 17, 14, somewhere around there at the half. Because I think Baylor's going to do, they're going to try to do exactly what I'm saying Oklahoma should do run the ball. And, and because of that, I think Baylor is going to try to attack a depleted Oklahoma defense and control the clock. What, the, best, the best defense against a high-octane offense is to keep them on the sideline. And so we're no, getting – Thanks, Army. We're getting we're, – we're well, Army didn't invent that, but they're, they're the most notable example of it. Um, but we're getting to Oklahoma's defensive side here. I, I don't want to go there just yet, but I, what I'm saying is – I, it wouldn't shock me that this game is close at the half. And if Oklahoma, going back to my points, if Oklahoma runs the ball, it limits possessions. If they don't turn the ball over, that's good. But if they do turn it over, you put that depleted defense back out on the field more. And then finally, for me, offensively, you got to take those downfield shots. I agree. You got to go vertical, but it's not the priority in the offense. It's that we're no, keeping no, you no. honest offense. What I'm hearing from you are two things. One, you're saying take the under. Two, you're saying don't bet on Oklahoma to cover. We'll get into that at the very end because <laughs> I've got a I've got a score prediction. We'll we'll jump into that. Um, who are you watching on the offensive side of the ball? You already said one of my guys in Mikey Henderson. He's quickly becoming one of my favorites 
Um, I, clearly, obviously, Ramondre Stevenson, based on what I've said, uh, with the um, with the need to run the ball heavily, Ramondre 6.6 yards per carry average going into this game for the season. He's already tied with TJ Pledger with five touchdowns on the season. I I'm curious to see what he averages per rush in this game because it's still I, I want it to be north of five. Anytime anytime he's north of five, you're doing pretty good. Mikey Henderson is such an intriguing name. I think he's one that a lot of people will that those that are in the know will be drawn to magnetically because he's not the focal point of this offense. Right. He's not going to be on Saturday the focal point of this offense. And it allows Mikey Henderson to fly under the radar and do some of the things that we saw him do against Oklahoma State. When Ramondre Stevenson is in the backfield, guess where all of the eyes of the linebackers are Absolutely. going? Absolutely. Right to Stevenson. So if Henderson comes out the other side or Stevenson simply stays back to block to pick up the blitz, there should be a wide open Henderson. I love that pick not to go with him as well. I'm I'm going to stick with the Marvin Mims theme yeah. for me. Marvin Mims, an incredible receiver with a very bright future. I'd like to see him continue to build on his career. As far as I know, he has not hit the Oklahoma record for touchdowns, receiving touchdowns by a true freshman. I would love for him to hold that single-handedly before the end of the season, and he's most likely going to get at least two games, hopefully three games, in which he can do that. Maybe do, four. Do you know what a Do you know what an oh crap player is? You ever heard of an oh crap player? <laughs> I have. You have? <laughs> Maybe. Explain it. And I'll right, tell so, you if my so mind's if, in the same place. Well, well, in this situation, you're you're the defense, right? And you're and you're you're game playing to stop Oklahoma's offense. Most defensive coordinators, and then in their individual. Uh, position groups they circle numbers so for example if you're the secondary you got number 17 circled right marvin okay, yeah we're not thinking the same okay thing, then. so marvin mims number 17 you you got to make sure he's accounted for uh Ramondre stevenson number 29 if you're the linebacker core you got to make sure number 29 is accounted for obviously the quarterback spencer rattler if you're the defensive line you want to pressure number seven okay so on, on any given play you've got three or four numbers that those are I'm focused on those guys. Those guys are not going to beat me. And then here comes Mikey Henderson off mm -hmm. the edge. He's your oh crap guy because you got number 29 covered. You got number 17 covered. You got number seven contained. Oh crap. There's number three. All right. That's your oh crap player. And that's, that's Mikey Henderson. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be great yeah, at that because this is rich. This is going to be his career. He's going to go in the NFL being the oh crap player. He's never going to be the star, but he's going to be the guy that makes everyone go. Oh crap. How do we lose him? Because he's all, like you said, wide open. Mm -hmm. He's always going to be so because you can't shadow him with a linebacker. You can't, you can't bring a safety up because of the, all the other players. So you, it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup. And if that one guy, that defensive end or that, that, you know, that linebacker right at the line of scrimmage, if they bite on a play fake, we saw it against Oklahoma state. You know, we, we right. saw it, that, that's that's how he's going to make a career at the University of Oklahoma. And then he's going to go in the NFL and, and be great, I think. The one thing that I'm curious to know is when Austin Stogner steps back onto the field, how does that change the equation for a guy like Mikey Henderson? Well, first, two things. Number one, I don't think Austin Stogner's coming back this season. I haven't written about that. First time I've ever said it publicly, but I think I'm hearing Stogner's done for the year. So, so don't really worry about it this year. But number two goes back to what we said when when we thought when we uh, we I think we were the one of the first ones to say going into Bedlam that Stogner wasn't going to play. And I, I always go back to what I said right there at that at that that point was that what Mikey Henderson gives you is the ability to run the football. Right. You know, Stogner's not going to do that. That's not in his bag yeah, of tricks. That was your big selling point on Mikey Henderson during and, our conversation. And that's, that's, it, it was that versatility, and we knew that he had it. But you singled out that single attribute that he can essentially line up as your running back in any given set. Yeah. So when Stogner does come back, be it this year or next year, I don't think it affects Mikey Henderson because you're still going to use him in the same capacity. And you can have him on the field at the same time with Stogner. And you'll most likely see Mikey Henderson in the backfield as the H back and then Stogner lined out as a either close to the line of scrimmage or out in the slot as a tight end. 
I want to tack one thing on, and this is not a knock against Austin Stogner. I think he, again, an incredible talent that has a very bright future at that receiver position, even though he's playing tight end, I'm labeling him as a receiver because it still qualifies in this conversation, in this scenario. But when I look at Austin Stogner not being available, I felt as though it freed up this offense. Is that bad of me to say? I All of a sudden, Spencer Rattler was, yeah. wasn't was just eyeing Stogner as that go-to individual when you're third and yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know that's bad of you to say, but I also don't know that it's accurate. Um, but maybe it is. I think what it did is it, it caused Lincoln Riley to reassess a little bit how he mm-hmm. does things in – and different from, personnel not, not groups even from Lincoln Riley. Well, what I'm saying is it's different personnel groups that have been potentially more successful than what they had with Stogner. But keep in mind, you know, everyone still gave the the third and eight call against Texas or fourth and eight when, you know, you're going for it there and you're basically putting them to bed. And the, the, the route was there. The throw was there. The catch wasn't made. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe you're just inserting dis- different personnel groups that are having a little bit more success. And again, well, I'm not a knock against Stogner because I think that this, I think the ceiling's still high for him. The stat that I'm looking at is how many players caught a pass right. in the first half against Oklahoma State. Yeah, but that's been a, that's if you go back and look, that's been a season-long thing. The, 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 well, I haven't noticed it until yeah, Oklahoma State. No, we'll put it, it that it's, way. it's a thing. It, it really is. Go back and look at go back and look at, at box scores and see how he has distributed the ball across the field. Okay. Let's jump over and talk about the defensive side of things. Defensively, Oklahoma matches up well against Baylor. This is a team that doesn't run the ball uh, great on the ground. <laughs> I mean, they're only, That's an understatement. they're only averaging for the season, 102 yards per game. And they're going up against an Oklahoma defense that gives up less than a hundred yards per game. So it's not a situation. Now their running backs can be dangerous, but Overall, they're they're not well at running the ball, but I think that's their best option right now. Yeah, I know. I don't know what not well at running the ball is is, is <laughs> grammatically correct. Right, but you yeah, you get the good. point. Um, but I think that's their best bet to, to start. The, you start this way, like I said, because you want to keep Spencer Rattler and that offense on the sidelines, and you're going up against a depleted Oklahoma defense. So I'm at least if I'm if I'm over there on the Baylor sideline, this I'm challenging. I'm trying this. Now, the good news is for Oklahoma is when we hear about the COVID, the, whether it's contact tracing or <laughs> positive test, you're not really hearing a lot about the defensive line. Now, Nick Benito is not going to play in this game. Now, he's a linebacker. There's one name. He, he's a linebacker. You, you know. He's a linebacker, but people people refer to him as a defensive end but he's a rush linebacker so he's in the here's here's you know one of those connect the dot things let's look at the areas that we know that we've heard players are going to be missing and then when you're trying to figure out what coaches are out think about the position coaches okay so we know there's a linebacker issue we know Nick Benito is one of the names that's not going to play we know there's a secondary issue we know that that Brendan Radley Hiles most likely is not going to play. Two. There, there's my name drops, right? So within, when you're thinking about, okay, well, what coaches are missing? Well, who coaches linebackers? Odom. Who coaches the secondary? Grinch. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's so, too funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> I, I, when you said that, all I could think of was the, the wide receivers coach, Dennis. And I'm like, whoa, who are we talking about right. here? So um, so if you're trying to connect the dots to figure out which positions and which position coaches are out, obviously if Grinch is out, that's why Bob Soups is on the sideline. Like I said, I'm not worried about I'm I'm not worried about the personnel coaching. I'm worried about the personnel that's gonna be on the field. And so when you start thinking about, okay, so Nick Benito's out, what does that mean? Well, if you go by the the depth chart. What that means is that John Michael Terry is number two at that rush linebacker spot. But you've also got guys like Reggie Grimes, Marcus Stripling. There's a freshman there and Brendan Walker that are, you know, they're they're all potentially going to to make a appearance. Reggie Grimes is a defensive end position wise. Right. John Michael Terry is the rush linebacker. I, so I think you might – 
you might see some things move in and out based off of the situation, the down and the yardage. I, I think it's a much easier for figure out who Brandon Riley Hiles is going to be replaced by. And if healthy, that comes to Trey Norwood. We've already seen him. We've already seen him have success. We, we right. remember the that Texas was, that Tech That was a game. very welcome change right. out of Norwood. I, I mean, I shouldn't say change out of Norwood, but change from Riley Hiles to Norwood. Right. And the interceptions that you're and, about to mention. And they're, they're listed for the depth chart for this game. They're listed as the or position. Trey Norwood mm-hmm. is actually listed ahead of Brandon Radley Hiles. It's Trey Norwood or Brandon Radley Hiles. So potentially Norwood was going to be the starter there anyway. Right. We don't know. But what I'm saying is I'm a lot more comfortable. We know now. Yeah. Well, I'm a lot more comfortable <laughs> assuming Norwood's healthy. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Here, Matt, I want to throw a wrench into your whole argument. Can I do that really quickly? Sure. Because you're talking about the rush linebacker position. Guess who started their career at the University of Oklahoma at the rush linebacker position was potentially going to move to the middle and then ended up staying in an outside linebacker role? Caleb Kelly. David Uguebu. Oh, uh, David Uguebu. So David Uguebu. I mean, I, I knew Caleb Kelly wasn't uh, wasn't available. Right. I was da- just trying to throw a monkey <laughs> wrench at your monkey wrench. David Uguebu has had a lot of success this year. He's a name that we've become familiar with. Deshaun White in the middle, obviously. And then you've had Nick Benito on the other side, who, when asked to step in, has really been in the mold of an Eric Stryker. For those of you who remember Eric Stryker and what he did at the University of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. David Uguebu, I think, can fill that role as well. He's not a guy that I would completely count out. And then I would put John Michael Terry where Uguebu would typically play at. It's a thought. It's a thought. I'm not saying I mean, it's look, Uguebu is but... a playmaker. We, we know that. You go back to the Bedlam game, you see the tip in the interception. You go back to Texas. I mean, the guy's a playmaker, but I think. I, I mean, he's a he's a Mike. He's a middle linebacker by definition. And when you when you talk about the the rush guy, who who are you talking about? Aguebu. When you when you talk about the rush, the rush linebacker, the thing that you really got to focus on there is speed and balance. Aguebu's got size. Six Aguebu's four, not in the middle. He's a Mike linebacker. I'm gonna challenge you on that challenge one. Challenge me con- on it. Let's continue on. Anyway, um, he he's a. He, the the point I'm making is there there may be something in a guy like like John Michael Terry where it's speed or it's balance because you, you got to have both of those be to be the rush because how many times have you seen a guy rush in there and get right to the quarterback but then just fly right on by him because that's a balance issue. Um, so but he, going back to the to the start for me I it, this defensive game plan starts in putting. Baylor behind the chains, which means on first down, you don't give up the run. Second down, you, you don't give up the short mid, middle pass. You want them third and long so you can release a David Aguebu or, you know, a John Michael Terry or, or whoever it is, Reggie Grimes, whoever's coming in there. Now, you also have a, a, a guy in Charlie Brewer who can run the ball what do you, you dang you, you did you say i hate you no i said dang you <laughs> why because you, I, I mouthed it oh, for okay. those of you who are listening i know you can't see us visually Matt, while you've been talking i went ahead and i just looked up the Oguebu situation okay okay and here's a quote from lincoln riley he says having nick benito and david Oguebu stacked up using quotes here stacked up at the same position would have been a waste <laughs> So they moved Uguebu back to the middle. Dang you. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> you said, you said, dang you. Like, I used yeah, mouth. Yeah. But I, I, my bad lip reading was, I hate you. I thought that's <laughs> what you said. Um, anyway, the point I'm making here, going back, you, you've got, you've got a little bit of a rush threat with Charlie Brewer. Now, the thing with, if, if I'm David Aranda or any other coach on the Baylor sideline, the last thing I want to see is Charlie Brewer taking hits, right? I mean, this right. kudos to him for making it this far through the season. But this is a guy that if you like sneeze on him, he's going to get a concussion. But that said, we saw him run for a big touchdown against Kansas State last week. The guy can run the ball. So you got, there's got to be some accountability, which means here's the whole point I'm making with this. Your defensive ends aren't going to be crashing as much. We, we've talked through this. Defensive ends are going to contain pressure comes up the middle, which makes that rush linebacker spot, that Nick Benito spot all the more important. So you want somebody in there who's got speed and balance. 
I don't know who that's going to be. It's still David Aguebu for me. I'm not going to back down from that argument. Matt, when I'm looking at this Baylor offense, I do believe that you can make them one-dimensional. You look at a team that... Let's let's just talk about Oklahoma State really quickly. And the one thing that we consistently said about that offense, we said the weak point was the offensive line. Right. I believe that to be the same with Baylor. Baylor has a porous offensive line, so much so that they've given up 24 sacks, which is number nine in the conference. Charlie Brewer has been sacked 17 times himself this season. I think I'm not saying that you need to bring any added pressure. I'm not saying you need to do any flourishes in order to get into the backfield. But what I am saying is that I expect Oklahoma to be successful from that defensive end position. We're looking at guys like Ronnie Perkins. Of course, I still believe everything starts in the middle and I'm never going to deviate from that statement. But I look at guys like Ronnie Perkins who has the ability to get into the backfield and to put pressure on the quarterback by himself. You look at the opposite side of that. Isaiah Thomas has really made a name for himself here throughout the season without some of these bigger names available. Jalen Redman and Ronnie Perkins for the first half of the season. Isaiah Thomas was that defensive end that you looked at and you circled and said he can't get into the backfield because once he does, we know he's bringing the quarterback down. I like what I've seen out of Isaiah Thomas. Adding Ronnie Perkins only made that equation much more difficult to solve for these offensive line coaches as well as these offensive coordinators. So from a defensive perspective, I'm going in and I'm trying to take away that pass. We've talked about the secondary, and I believe the biggest help to this Oklahoma secondary will be a pass rush, even if you're only bringing Oh, four. 100%. I mean, the pa- we, we've talked about so so long that the pass rush, getting to the quarterback, mm-hmm. makes your secondary that much better. Um, one guy, though, I am worried about for the Baylor offense is Tristan Edmer. Ed, Ed, Edmer? <laughs> I don't know. E-B-N-E-R. Ebner? I, I, I feel like I'm not saying it right. E-B-N-E-R. Ebner. Yeah, the, the E names, Emeka Abuka and Tristan Ebner are getting to me. But this is a guy who's not a big threat running the football. He's only averaging two and a half yards per carry this season. But coming out of the backfield, he always seems to be able to take advantage of matchup situations, and he's averaging 12.6 yards per reception out of the backfield. Yardage-wise, he's the second most productive receiving threat Baylor has this season, and he's tied. There's three guys with three touchdowns on Baylor's uh, team with, with receiving touchdowns. So this is a guy that, that bothers me a little bit because, again, we're talking about thinning out a linebacker core. I'm thinking that if I'm Bob Stoops, I'm I'm going to bring up Pat Fields or somebody else to kind of Ebner's going to be that responsibility to the safety, not to a linebacker. That's that's what I would do. But again, Bob Stoops made millions and millions of dollars doing what he does, so he could do something different. It's weird looking at this Baylor roster and not having any really recognizable names at that receiver position. I'm looking down the Big 12 conference leaders in terms of receptions and receiving yards, and I was expecting to see some names that simply aren't there, again, from this Baylor roster. Matt, I I don't know where else to focus on this defense um, outside of that, that defensive end because there's so much that's still in a state of flux. I do want to look at the secondary, but... Again, it's it comes down to the question of who's going to be playing what position, right. who's going to be available. And so as I'm looking at Charlie Brewer, one, the first thing I'll mention about him is that I do think, and you've already said this, so I'm really piggybacking what you've said. He does have the ability to run the ball, and it's easy to forget that about him. I think even as a defensive player, you think about Charlie Brewer and you think about the... I'll just say it concussions that he suffered against Oklahoma. I didn't know how else to label that, but that concussion that he suffered against Oklahoma put him in a completely different state. I don't, I'm not certain that Charlie Brewer knew where he was or what he was doing. And I still, I I say it was a poor decision by Matt Rule to put him back out on the field in that game, regardless of what was at stake. Well, they, they ended up pulling him. I mean, it's eventually the officials, the officials pulled him. Yeah, eventually, but he still played some downs in that game. So when I look at Charlie Brewer, I think it's easy to forget that he can be a capable runner, but let's not forget about his ability to throw. He's been a, a throughout his career, a very good passer. Now I feel as though this year, 
because of that offensive line, he is more prone to throw interceptions, six interceptions, excuse me, interceptions on the year to 13 touchdowns. But Baylor's not a ball that, not a team that turns the ball. They're not a ball. They're a team that doesn't turn the ball over very often. Right. And so when I'm looking at the secondary, I keep going back to what we said about last year's team and what we said about this defense in the first half of the year is that when opportunities arise to take the ball away, they have to do it. I think that'll play huge in the first half of this mm-hmm. game. I don't know how much of a factor it would be in the second half, as I believe that talent and depth simply takes over. Okay. So I'm looking at that rush linebacker spot with Nick Benito being out and who's ever is going to play there, be it John Michael Terry or, or David Aguebu or anybody else. That's one of the positions I'm going to be watching in this game. Give me one or two of the guys you're going to be looking at. I'm on looking the at the safeties. Side of the ball. Okay. Honestly, the, the safeties, Baylor has speed on their roster. I'm not oblivious to that. It's easy to ignore a lot of, of a lot of what Baylor does offensively because of their lack of success. I get it. 27 points per game, but that's not a huge average here in the big 12. They haven't been able to really get behind defenses and make them pay for it when they do get behind them. Needless to say, you look at Baylor. I do know that there's speed on the roster. And I think that these safeties, whoever's going to play those positions in this game, as that secondary goes through a little bit of a shuffling, most likely, I, I don't know that with any level of certainty. I just know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. If that secondary goes through some kind of shuffling, I don't know who's, who's going to end up where, but I am looking at that secondary to say that they're going to have to be the ones who limit the big plays. I agree. And I think Pat Fields, particularly with what we talked about with the Tristan Edmer, um, being that, that guy, that, that threat out of the backfield who just gets lost. Um, I think the safety position is a good one to look at as well. Okay. True or false coming up next. I'm asking the questions. So we'll hit it up next. We're going to close out the podcast with true or false and then give you our Big 12 rundown with score predictions and so forth. But let's start by talking specifically one more time about Baylor and Oklahoma. I'm asking the questions. So, Rich, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. All right, here we go. Number one, true or false, Bob Stoops returning to the sidelines will still be the biggest story after this game is over with. Hmm. At this point, it has dominated the the headlines the last three days. It's honestly led to questions of, is this just a publicity stunt? Is this kind of a gimmick to get people talking about Oklahoma before the college football playoff rankings are set in stone? I'm not going to answer that because that's not what you're asking, but I will answer your true or false question and say, I do believe that one to be true. I don't know that there's any storyline that will that will be more popular that will overtake it, especially if Oklahoma is successful. Now, there will be a couple of rivals or a couple of challengers to that storyline, even with the success that we're anticipating on Saturday, such as what happens with the West Virginia game. Potentially, we start looking at Big 12 championship and the opponent and some of the scenarios that could play out as to who that could be. So again, there are some challengers. I just don't see in the wake of the game, any story being more popular than Bob Stoops being on the sideline. I see social media being flooded with pictures, Bob Stoops, a headset on once again, of course, a mask as well, but standing on the sideline and the crimson and cream Bob Stoops will of course be that, that number one story. So you're going to have a visor on. He's going to have a visor on. All right, here Hasn't, we go. I mean, you've seen the practice photos. Did he have a visor yeah, on? I mean, he can't, can't not have a visor. I think he did. Um, okay, here we go. Number two. Um, in the last five games, going back to the Texas game, Oklahoma ranks first amongst Power 5 teams with an average of 50.2 points per game. Following me here? True or false? They'll hit the 50-point mark against Saturday against Baylor. Before I give you my answer... Here's what I want you to know. Over the past three games, Oklahoma has averaged 55 points this season, this offense. Do they have the capability of scoring 50 plus points on Saturday? Yes. Do they do it? No, I'm going with false. Okay. That was a, okay. We'll, we'll accept that. Did I mislead you? No, no, no. I just, uh, yeah. Cause you said that it's actually higher than 50.2 over the last three games. It's been 50.5, but no, it's not going to happen. And I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen because of what we said with the offensive mm-hmm. game plans. I think it's, it's you lean yeah. heavy on the it, run. Yeah. This, and, and I'll go a little bit further into my explanation. I believe this is a game that Oklahoma wants to win without 
suffering any casualties Mm -hmm. on the field. Of course, I'm talking about injuries, but you do want to keep all your players healthy. You want to keep all your players limited in terms of contact, just in case there is some kind of an outbreak and contact tracing is once again required. So when we look at this team, I think they want to get on and off the field as quickly as possible. You're saying it's, it's running the ball. I'm echoing that it is running the ball. And again, that's, that's why I believe Oklahoma doesn't score more than 50 points in this game. They get close, but they don't quite eclipse that number. 49. Okay, here we go. Um, Oklahoma has hit the 200-yard rushing mark in three of its last five games. So you've already answered this question, but true or false? The Sooners go would go over 200 on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that one to be true. You look at the tenacity that this offensive line has started to play with. We said that we have to live with the the left side of this offensive line. We have to live with the product that is on the field and make no exceptions, make no excuses for it. It is what it is. But what we know is that Oklahoma has a pretty salty group of running backs. And then you throw in the X factor, which is Mikey Henderson, who can boost that number a little bit higher. Do I think one individual is going to eclipse the 200 yard mark on the ground? No, but it will be a team effort. I do think there's, there's real, there's a real possibility that two players, one eclipses the hundred yard mark and the second one gets pretty close in this game. What, what about Ramondre Stevenson? If he broke some AJP Ryan's record, would you be down for that? I mean, that's a near impossibility. I'm just saying, what if he did? And what if he scored eight touchdowns? Would that be a bigger it's story? It's not raining. Would that be a bigger story than Bob Stoops? Yeah. I, okay. I mean, maybe, right? Yeah. Right. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. You're asking me all, all the right, hard questions. Moving on. Um, Trey Brown is the only senior starter for Oklahoma's defense. He's is that tw- true? It, I'm pretty sure it's true. Right? Don't don't mess up my questions, all right? Trey Brown's the only senior starter for Oklahoma's defense. Tweeted out earlier this week about Saturday being his last home game. True or false? Trey Brown needs to take advantage of the COVID rule and come back one more year. I think that's true. The way you've worded that, I would buy in 100%. Oklahoma, we talked about the first half compared to the second half of the season. And this is a team that I believe would be competitive in the college football playoff. And when you look at the best player in the secondary, it's undoubtedly Trey Brown. The, the highlight of his career, Matt forever for me will be against Baylor. Yeah. It will be against Baylor and it will be that rundown from behind clocking those speeds. Simply. I wrote the article on that one. However long ago that was now we're not to a full year, But however long ago that was now, I wrote the article on that one, and it just exploded. I didn't expect that. But again, that will be the highlight of Trey Brown's career for me if it ends, if his last home game truly is on Saturday. I do think he needs to take advantage because, like I said, I think this is a team that could compete in the college football playoff, but it needs a leader in that secondary. We've talked about the instincts. We've talked about the recognition of a guy like Brendan Radley Hiles, but there's got, there's no guy who's been more consistent than Trey Brown on the field for me. And he would provide a significant boost. I get what Oklahoma has in a guy like Jaden Davis, but you can't discredit what Trey Brown has meant for this team at that cornerback position. Yeah, and it's uh, his speed is what's going to be attractive to NFL teams, but I think technique and uh, again, I always go back to Parnell Motley. You know, look how much Parnell Motley improved his senior season and what a guy like Trey Brown having two senior seasons what that could do for him. Okay, just I pulled it up real fast. Oklahoma starting defense, uh, Ronnie Perkins Jr. Perrin Winfrey Jr., Isaiah Thomas Jr., Deshaun White Jr., Brian Asamoa, sophomore, Nick Benito, sophomore, Trey Brown, senior, DT Yell Jr., Pat Fields Jr., Jaden Davis, sophomore, Trey Norwood Jr. So there you have it. Oklahoma's only senior. Uh, last question. We we've talked about um, we've talked about Caleb Williams and the potential of of Emeka Egbuka coming. Uh, we talked about other guys like Bryce Foster, Samar Wheaton still out there. Oklahoma currently ranks number 11 by 24-7 sports of the 2021 recruiting class. Nationally, they're number 11. True or false? National Sign Day is two weeks away. You you hinted that earlier. So last question has to deal with that. By the time the early signing period starts and the National Signing Day comes in February, true or false, Oklahoma will have a top five recruiting class. 
National. You League. said after February. Yeah, after it's all over with. It starts on it starts in two weeks. By the time it's all said and done, top five class. Man, Oklahoma, and I'm gonna give you my explanation before I give you my answer on this one as well. Oklahoma is in on three five star recruits. If you weren't aware, five stars only go out to 32 names in that recruiting cycle from any of the outlets that are used. Given that factor, knowing that Oklahoma's in on them, knowing that a guy like Egbuka and his family are using their own dime to make the trip to Oklahoma says that they're extremely interested and they want to get this tour of campus. They want to know what campus life. I get no students are going to be on campus, but they're interested in, in what's life look like for a student athlete. And if Oklahoma can impress as they've always done, no doubts in my mind that they'll do it once again, whether it's virtually or whether that is this in-person visit with just other recruits, such as Caleb Williams leading the show. I still think the university will come off impressive in their eyes. Tristan Lee, we've already mentioned. Bryce Foster, you've mentioned as well. Those are the three five-star recruits that are still out there. Wait a second. Aren't there four? Did I miss one? Did I miss I a running back? I think Samar Wheaton's not. I don't think he's five-star. Okay. I thought, I thought he may have been a five-star. But when you look at what's still on the table that remains uncommitted and you look at is Oklahoma in or are they out? The potential for them to rise to the top of these rankings exists. Therefore, I'm going to go with true because I do believe at least one, if not two of those names, I would like all three, but at least two of those names are coming. And I believe Samar Wheaton is coming as well. That gives you a pretty lofty trio to boost Oklahoma inside of the top 10 and hopefully inside of the top five. Well, the, I think top 10 is a given. I mean, you're, if you just get one, you had Samar Wheaton, mm -hmm. you had Tristan Lee, you had Bryce Foster, you just add one, you're top 10. So I think that's a given because I don't think they're going to get shut out on those guys. Okay, let's run through the Big 12 lineup and then we'll close this thing out. Uh, Saturday's contest started at 11 a.m. Kansas at Texas Tech. This is the nobody cares game. Texas Tech, 27 and a half point favorites, over under 62. I got the Red Raiders winning this and I got them winning it comfortably. I don't know that, that they'll cover, though. Uh, you can win by three touchdowns and not cover. I say that every time with Kansas. And then Kansas just goes out and just looks pitiful. This is a team that is progressively getting worse every week. And when you when you look at the scoreboard against Texas Tech and you're almost a four-touchdown a four underdog, that says a lot. But I, I think Texas Tech wins comfortably. I don't know if they win by four touchdowns. Yeah, that's I quite said, a bit. Did I say Texas A&M yeah. right there? You said Texas Tech. Okay. In my mind, I heard I Texas A&M. We'll have to go back and roll the tape. Yeah. Texas Tech, Matt Wells, will they get the win? I'm agreeing with you on this one. I'm, I'm going to roll back the tape really quickly because I was curious about Samar Wheaton. We've already moved on. I know. 247 Sports does not have him listed as a five-star, but he's a five-star in the composite. Okay. He's, he's listed 26 nationally. Rivals has him number 10 nationally. So depending on whose rankings you want to use, he could be a five-star or he could not. I think 24-7 is better, by the way, regardless of the how they composite, have him ranked. In the composite, he's 26. Okay, so here we go. Um, Texas Tech, Kansas, you got Texas Tech winning, obviously, right? You yeah. You want to talk about that game? No, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on at Kansas. They've been on bad. this. Bad. Bad is going right, on at Kansas. They've, they've been on this slide. A, a season where I thought they could at least win one game hasn't happened. I'm equating it to a culture change in saying the Matt Rule statement of it's not about winning games this season, but it's about making boys into men. Let's roll with it, and we'll see if that's what's happening. I don't think that's less miles. Is less miles, miles going to get fired after this? I don't know, man. Uh, anyway, okay. Everybody's more we, curious we about We need to talk Texas about that position. in the next podcast about Big 12 coaches that may not be here next year. Um, Oklahoma State. At TCU, number 15, Oklahoma State. Cowboys are two-point favorites. The over-under here is 51.5. I'm seeing a lot of people predicting a TCU upset. I don't think it happens, but I think this game's awfully close, much like the Texas Tech game was last week. Matt, I'm going to go with the upset here. You're going with TCU. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with TCU. They're playing Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is a team that's basically given up on this season. Certain players have, yes. Yeah, but they're star players, right? mind you. By the way, they lost another offensive lineman this week, if and you didn't see that. Here's what goes through my mind, is that when your star players begin to filter out of the system and say, we're opting out, all of a sudden, 
what I begin to okay, not all of them have said that they're opting out. I'm thinking more along the lines of Texas and their players publicly saying they're opting out. But against Oklahoma, it was very clear to me in Bedlam that there were players who quit and they basically quit this team. What that translates to, I don't know. But when you win, when you give up 44 points and you win, it says you're headed in the wrong direction. Defensively, this was a team that was was fairly decent. They hadn't given up more than 24 points except once. Now they've done it in back-to-back games, Matt. When I'm looking at Oklahoma State, I think they're in trouble. TCU's a hungry team. They come in and they take advantage. I- I'm I'm going with the upset. Okay, Texas at Kansas State. Speaking of opt-outs, Texas has their fill of them. Um, Longhorns are a seven-point favorite, over under 51.5. I know things are not going well right now uh, on the 40 acres. I don't see Texas losing to Kansas State. I just don't. Kansas State's such a bad team. How bad are they? They lost to Baylor last week. This is a bad football team. And even that guy who rolls out there and replace of of, of Cosme at left tackle, even that guy who rolls is, is going to be better than what Kansas State's rolling out there. I think the, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game, but I don't see this being a game that Texas loses. Sam Ellinger, I think he's one of the names who doesn't want to tarnish a legacy. At the University of Texas, I believe he could almost single-handedly win this team, win this team, win this game for the team. You know, that's a good point about Sam Ellinger and Trey Brown. Ellinger should take advantage of the COVID rule. I mean, I don't want him to because I can't stand the guy. But what? I mean, he's, he's not going to be an NFL guy. He's he, not going to be a first-round. He'll grade. be a fourth, fifth-round guy. Hold a clipboard for a while. He'll be like a Chris Sims. Shows up every now and then. But he's not, I mean, he's not going to be a star or he's going to be a star is at the University of Texas. I, I'm coming back if I'm that guy. Right. But whatever. All right. Game to uh, game to keep an eye on West Virginia at Iowa State. Two reasons to keep an eye on this game because the Cyclones currently hold the highest ranking in the Big 12 at number nine. And they're the number one team in the Big 12 at seven and one in conference play. West Virginia is having... COVID problems, and this game could actually end up being canceled. You serious, Clark? No, I am. I'm dead serious. But more so what you're looking... Did you like my Christmas reference? Yeah, I I appreciate that. Uh, More so, this is Oklahoma's next opponent in West Virginia. If they can't get COVID things under control, then that game in Morgantown could end up being canceled on December 12th. That's why Oklahoma-Baylor is so important, because you you win the Baylor game and West Virginia's canceled, you've qualified. You're in the Big 12 championship. So that's why getting this Baylor game in was so critical because what's happened in Waco, what has happened in, in Manhattan, Kansas, what happened in Norman over the last 10 days is starting to happen in Morgantown. Now, one good thing about this is that the CDC has re- reduced the number of days of quarantine from 14 to 10. Joe Castiglione said today that Oklahoma's implementing that immediately going to 10 days that could help out West Virginia's situation in regards to next week's game. But the reality is this is a big game on several different fronts, not just what's happening on the football field. And by the way, this just sn- smells to me like a game Iowa state would lose. If, if you're, if you're, you've got your sights on the big 12 championship and now you're playing a team that may not be all the way healthy, may not even be able to come. I don't know that you're 100% focused on this game if you're Iowa State. This game could easily go on upset alert. I can tell you're rubbing your forehead going, what is wrong with you? But I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, I've taken one upset, upset I, I, this, this I'm weekend. just saying that this this could be the game where that happens. Give me your thoughts. Matt, I think Iowa State, when you're talking about a potential trap game, there is no way, not in a million years, that I would see Matt Wells allow his team to play with that mindset. I'm not buying it. I think Iowa State wins this game. Assuming it's played, I think Iowa State wins this game, basically punching their ticket to the Big 12 championship. You're going to laugh when Austin Kendall goes out there as the emergency quarterback and wins this game, but whatever. Okay, um, that brings us to the big one. Baylor at Oklahoma. Sooners, if they win, they're in as far as Big 12 championship is concerned. Um, well, they still got to win out, but they stay, they stay on track. So Oklahoma, 22-point favorite, over under 62 and a half. 
I've got the Sooners win this game by about 12. 37, I'm going to say 37-25. I don't know how you get to 25 if you're Baylor, but I'm going with 37-25, 12-point win for the Sooners. <laughs> I, I just, like, I, 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 I struggle. <laughs> I don't know how you get to 25, but it could happen. Uh, three touchdowns and two safeties. There you go. Um, I, I think, I, I just, I worry again about the personnel on the field defensively, and I think that opens up some things for Baylor, particularly with the speed. I don't think this is a game Oklahoma loses. I think it's a comfortable 12-point win, but you're just thinking, okay, if we had those guys on the field that are out, this game's not even close. It's one of those games where you're winning, but you're thinking it should not even be close. I said Oklahoma would not score the 50 points, but I do believe Baylor gets close to their season average. I am going to go ahead and give them 27, not 25. I'm going to go ahead and give them 27 to Oklahoma's 45. 45-27. Therefore, therefore, Oklahoma still does not cover on that, by but the you way. But you take the over on that. Right, you take the over. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can subscribe to the Sooner Nation Podcast anywhere podcasts are found. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Uh, also on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your game. Boomer Sooner, everybody. Thank you.